Well, thank you so much for joining our ABF online service. And I pray that you are having a fantastic week and you are showing up today to be challenged in your walk with the Lord. Well, whether you are near or far, we'd love to hear for, from you. So text us at 97000, your prayer requests, uh, anything that you would like to share with us. Man, our staff considers it a privilege to partner with you in prayer. Well, at ABF, we have so many things going on throughout the week. We've got Bible studies, life groups, children's events, tons of things. We'd love for you to jump on our website at agorabible.org and check out how you can get involved. Our ongoing ministries are only made possible through your generous financial support. And we would be grateful if you would prayerfully consider uh, supporting us. So if you'd like to make a donation, just go on our website and you can hit the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's word, I would love for you to join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we are just grateful that we have this opportunity to learn from your word, from you, God Almighty. So Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would speak to every individual that is here, ready to hear a word from you. So Lord, speak clearly to us. We open ourselves up to your authority. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, Miss Adrian. Fantastic as always. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you for another online teaching. Uh, I find that sometimes it is quite unfair what people end up being known for. Last Sunday, we went to the Cubs versus Dodger game here with the ABF crew. And maybe it was baseball on the brain, but a former Cub slash Dodger is really what came to mind as far as this is concerned. Bill Buckner. Ever heard the name? Uh, I'm sure many of you have, and I'm sure many of you haven't. But if you know the name, chances are you know him for his incredible mustache. Okay, maybe not. Chances are, he does have an incredible mustache though. Chances are, what you know him for are the, is the error that he made in the 1986 World Series. He was playing first base for the Boston Red Sox. He let a grounder go straight through his legs. Red Sox end up losing the World Series. So even though I am a, a Cubs fan and he is a former Cubby, that's all I know him for, is for that one error. And truth be told, chances are that's what he will be known for for generations to come. It's pretty sad because he had a really long career and a really great career as well. He is one of the very few players in MLB history to have a career that spanned over four decades. He came into the league in 1969 and retired in 1990, a long career. Over the course of that long career, he was an all-star. He received MVP votes on five different occasions, and he won a batting title, meaning he had the best at batting average in the league in 1981. In summary, a great career, but known for one error. Question. When you hear the name King Solomon, what comes to mind? 
chances are what you just said out loud or you just thought in your brain was wisdom, right? King Solomon, known for his famous request for wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3, known for being the author of much of our wisdom literature in scripture, the Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. He is revered as possibly being the wisest human to ever live. But yet, but yet, he lived a large chunk of the later part of his life in what I can best describe as an addiction that had absolutely devastating consequences on himself, his family, and the entire nation of Israel for generations to come. But what is he known for? Wisdom. So to be clear, even just here from the very beginning, uh, and even just giving that kind of little teaser, uh, I am not suggesting that we cancel King Solomon and do away with anything that has to do with King Solomon. Uh, there's absolutely a lot of value. Uh, was his wisdom still good at the time when he had it? Yeah. Uh, is the wisdom literature still incredibly valuable? Uh, absolutely. I am just saying that that's not the entirety of what we can learn from King Solomon. Not only can we learn from King Solomon in the good times and in the good, uh, the good um, God-given wisdom that he imparted to us, but we can also learn from him in the bad times, whether we remember those bad times a lot or not, uh, because King Solomon provides us with an incredible cautionary tale. And that's what we're going to dive into today as we continue in our series, Meltdown. Let me pray for us, and we will continue in God's word. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you for some time together in your word. Um, Father, I personally just thank you for your goodness in pulling things together, even just for me personally having an interesting last couple of days and uh, just thank you for your faithfulness and goodness and ask that you would communicate what you want to um, even during this time now. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this series of meltdown and even just exploring some of the meltdowns of people in scripture and how we can learn from those meltdowns. And so Lord, we uh, look at the life of King Solomon and ask that you would use it in our lives to challenge, convict, encourage us um, here even today. And so we need you for that. We need your Holy Spirit to go before and work like only the Holy Spirit can. And uh, I'm desperate for that. And so I ask that you would do that even now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. If you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. While you are turning there, it'd be good for me to give you a little bit of background on what's going on in the story because all these meltdown stories are kind of discombobulated. They're not connected. So you need to know what's going on specifically here with King Solomon. Solomon became king at 20 years old when his father David died. Solomon started off very strong. It seems he really took to heart David's charge to walk in the ways of the Lord. That's there in 1 Kings chapter 2. That and, uh, rightfully so, uh, understandably, he was a little terrified and intimidated. 
At 20 years old, I was in college chasing geese around so I could catch one and put in a girl's dorm. At 20 years old, Solomon is ruling over millions of people as the king of Israel. So, when the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and kind of gives him this like blank check offered of what he wants from the Lord, Solomon's response is amazing. He asks for wisdom so that he could govern well. Again, that's the story from chapter three that I mentioned earlier. Over the next 10 years or so of Solomon's life, uh, we see accounts of his wisdom on display. He builds the amazing temple for the Lord that David only dreamed about, but said it was going to be for his son to build. He dedicates that temple to the Lord. He calls all of the people to wholly follow the Lord only. It's pretty amazing uh, over that span of his life, uh, seeing what the Lord does through and with Solomon. This is the Solomon that greatly gets remembered. Fast forward about 20 years. We don't really know many of the specifics, but what we know is there has been a terrible, terrible shift. Let's start reading in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. The first thing we hear about Solomon in about 20 years is that Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. So all of this is pretty new information except for the bit about Pharaoh's daughter. So Solomon married the princess of Egypt back in chapter 3, about 30 years ago as a political alliance. That's noteworthy and we will get back to that in a little bit. Verse continues, verse 2 continues uh, and references numerous passages concerning intermarrying with foreign neighbors. So in Exodus 23, in Exodus 34... And in Deuteronomy 7, God explicitly forbids marrying foreigners in the region. Now, this isn't quoted here in our first Kings passage, but Deuteronomy 17 additionally forbids Israelite kings from marrying many wives. Many wives. Uh, apparently, there is some debate as to what constitutes many. Is it two? Is it four? Is it 18? Uh, but regardless of where your line is, clearly Solomon has crossed that line. I mean, I guess unless your line is over a thousand. So not only has Solomon disobeyed the Lord by taking many, many wives, but also by marrying foreign neighbors. And in case you're wondering, this is not a race thing. It doesn't have to do anything with race. God's reasoning is very clearly stated there in verse 2, which is this, for surely they will turn your, your heart away after 
their gods. Spoiler alert, he was right. So as I have been preparing and working through this passage over the last uh, few weeks, man, the, the word that just kept on coming up in regards to Solomon and his situation is addiction. Uh, the way I saw it, man, the dude has a thousand wives and concubines. Clearly, there is an unquenchable appetite that he is looking to satisfy in incredibly unhealthy ways. Uh, now, addiction, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like I should necessarily just be throwing that term around. And so uh, I wanted to speak to an expert on addiction to see if I was even headed in the right direction to see if that's a claim that I could connect to what's going on here with King Solomon. So what I did was I called one of the Christian therapists that I know who's on our ABF referral list. We've got a referral list of counselors and therapists um, to just kind of recommend out to people uh, to get help in lots of different areas of life. And this specific uh, therapist that I reached out to specializes in addiction and even more specifically specializes in, in sex addiction. And I thought, man, he'd just be such a good guy to talk to and get his ear on this situation. We had a really good conversation. It was actually really eye-opening and wanted to share a couple of things from that conversation. So initially he had some pushback. His initial pushback was this. He said, well, most likely... Uh, Solomon wasn't having relations with all of these women uh, because it was, it was more of a political alliance thing, right? Kind of like the situation with the daughter of Pharaoh. Then I brought up the end of verse two. If you look there at the end of verse two, it says this, Solomon clung to these in love. And the word clung based on other uses in scripture, absolutely is meaning sexual and relational, relational intimacy. That's absolutely what is, is meant there. I shared with him that I believe the author is making an explicit claim that these marriages are not just political, that Solomon has a very real problem um, I also shared the biblical commands for Israelite kings, not taking many wives, not taking uh, foreign wives. I thought it was interesting what he had to say in response. He said, well, obviously there's no way that we can guarantee or speak completely authoritatively that this is addiction, which I completely agree with, by the way. However, he said, there's really no framework for addict language in scripture, Think about it. Ancient documents that we're talking about in scripture and Attic language is fairly modern. Um, so there's not Attic language in scripture, but he added this. He said, but if the Bible did have Attic language, this is probably what it would sound like. Uh, and I just found that uh, very interesting and truth be told, kind of compelling based on what we're going to see uh, here in the rest of uh, Solomon's life. So for you personally, whether you're comfortable calling it an addiction, uh, it's up to you. Uh, but we can all agree it is absolutely undeniable that this situation wreaked havoc in Solomon's life and his entire world. Let's take a look at the meltdown. 
Verse three, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Okay. I have some shocking news for you. It is going to absolutely blow your mind. God called it. He called it. He completely called it. He knew what would happen if the Israelite kings married the foreign women in their surrounding area. Their hearts would turn away from him. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. The sad part for me is the timeline. Look at verse four. Verse four says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. This isn't something that just like happened immediately. It wasn't just an all of a sudden thing. This happened over the course of probably about 20 years the Solomon that you and I generally remember started off great. He and the Lord were close. I'd imagine the thought of him ever falling away seemed unimaginable. He couldn't even conceive of falling away from the Lord. But time showed that his desire for God was not the strongest desire in his life, and that had ramifications. One compromise led to another, which led to another, which led to another, and 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 another. You get the picture, right? Like a whole lot. How long would it take me to do a thousand of those? A lot. Here's the thing. I find it interesting that one compromise in one area of life led to a compromise in another area of life. The compromise of many foreign wives led to the compromise of worshiping foreign gods. I also find it interesting that his very, very first compromise came when things were good between him and God. I told you this was going to come back up, but he married, he married Pharaoh's daughter, a foreign wife, at the beginning of chapter 3. That is right before his dream where he asked the Lord for wisdom. Before. His reasoning and justification probably made a lot of sense at the time. Uh, it wasn't about the woman. It was about the political alliance. It wasn't about the sex. It was about like what I can do for career and politics. It's just interesting how that opened the door and made it way easier to justify marrying the next foreign wife and so on and so forth. Man, isn't that exactly how sin starts? 
That's exactly how sin starts in our life. A little justification, a little compromise in one area makes the next compromise easier. And for whatever reason, once we're compromising in one area of our life, it just becomes way easier to compromise in another area of life. Ultimately, compromising in the most important thing in our lives, our relationship with the Lord. Now, this is not a call to be perfect, but it is a warning to heed even in the good times, even when things are great between you and the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Man, this is a call to watch over our lives, to keep our eyes open in order to avoid a fall, a fall just like Solomon had. So here in this section, we see Solomon was willing to build high places. He was willing to build places of worship for any and all of his foreign wives that worshiped any other gods. But here's the thing. He didn't just permit his wives to worship their gods. Verse five says Solomon went after the gods. Two of them specifically that Solomon went after. We don't know if he went after more of the gods, but we know that he went after these two specifically, Ashtoreth and Milcom. And I'd like for you to guess the very first one that's mentioned there, Ashtoreth, the first god that Solomon goes after. What do you think Ashtoreth is the goddess of? Sex and fertility. Sex and fertility. Is it surprising that Solomon, the man with a thousand wives and concubines, gets drawn after worshiping a god, a goddess of sex and fertility? I think we are seeing a pattern here in Solomon's life. This area of Solomon's life completely derailed his legacy, his family, and his nation, as I've said before. Let's continue on and see how this plays out. Verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice that you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Sure enough, there would be consequences for Solomon's actions. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Because of Solomon's sin, we see here right in this section as a little recap, uh, because of Solomon's sin, the Lord, the Lord tore the kingdom away from him, but yet for the sake of David, his father, the Lord waited a generation and he left a single tribe to David's line, that being the tribe of Judah. 
If you're not familiar with the story, that's exactly what happened. Exactly how it's said here, that's how it plays out. Solomon lived for about another 10 years after this and then passed away. And his death started a chain reaction. Pretty much immediately after Solomon died, the kingdom was torn in two. The northern nation of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Over the next 200 years, the northern kingdom of Israel had about 20 kings, all of which were bad, all of them kind of following the path that Solomon had laid until they were defeated by Assyria in 721 and taken into exile. Now, the reason that the nation of Israel was taken into exile 200 years after Solomon is specifically laid out in scripture. 2 Kings chapter 17 tells us that this defeat and exile occurred because of Israel's idolatry and their worship of other gods. Only one God is mentioned as an example as to who the Israelites were worshiping. Can you guess which one God specifically is mentioned as an example? Ashtoreth. 200 years later, Israel is still following in Solomon's evil footsteps. 200 years later, the consequences of Solomon's sin, the consequences of Solomon's addiction were massive. Now, was Solomon responsible for the actions of everyone else over the course of the last few hundred years? Of course not. But it is impossible to ignore the impact that Solomon's sin had for generations. Still true today, if you and I let sin in any area of our lives get so deep-rooted into who we are, it is going to have impact for generations to come. That is how sin works. Now, I know this isn't going to stick, but it's worth a shot. I think that we should at least make one minor but significant change into how we remember King Solomon. Uh, we are just coming out of a series going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We had some conversations about spiritual gifts. Two of those spiritual gifts that we talked about were knowledge and wisdom. Back in 1 Corinthians 12, we said that knowledge refers to understanding truths from God's word. And wisdom refers to then practically applying knowledge. I would say Solomon had knowledge in abundance, absolute abundance, so much knowledge. But then when it comes to the practical application part, the wisdom part, not so much at all, at least later in life. Solomon was the most knowledgeable man ever. He knew God's word. He knew all the right answers. He knew it all. But in the end, didn't matter because it didn't translate to actually applying that knowledge. Solomon should be known as a man of having knowledge, 
Having wisdom, not so much. Isn't that what it comes down to for you and I today? You can be in church every Sunday. You can know every single Bible story. You can have all the answers. You can have a whole lot of knowledge. But in the end, it comes down to what you do with that knowledge. Applying it, by definition, means making God-honoring choices. That's what it comes down to in the end. In closing, I would like to share another part of my conversation with my therapist friend. Uh, as I said, it was a really good conversation, and uh, I felt like this is worth sharing. So he said, over the course of history, people with money and power have been the most susceptible to sexual addiction says it takes a lot of resources to keep that up. Just saying, King Solomon kind of fits the bill. Um, but that has all changed recently uh, because of the internet, and we are seeing an epidemic of sexual addiction. Trust me, when I first picked Solomon, I was not thinking that we were headed this direction uh, at all, but yet here we are. Um, I just asked him if he had any professional advice, given that truth in knowing our society today, if he just had any professional advice to share in light of that. He said a couple of things. The first step, he said, is simply acknowledging that there might be a problem. Just being honest with yourself and acknowledging that there might be a problem. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Actually, it's just going to get worse. He said, if you are trying to mitigate consequences in your life, if you're trying to mitigate consequences, get help sooner rather than later. He said, you absolutely need honest feedback from people you trust, from people that have knowledge in this area, that with people that have training in this area, and with people that have a biblical perspective on sexuality. He said, it is not a short-term fix by any means, but change is absolutely possible, and he has seen it. I think that's pretty encouraging. But the most encouraging thing in my estimation is my biggest takeaway from this last section of Scripture. The biggest thing that stands out from this last section of Scripture is the phrase, for the sake of David. We see it in there two times. You and I remember David as the one who had the meltdown, as the one that messed up with Bathsheba, right? As I was thinking about, man, who am I going to study? Who am I going to take a look at for having a meltdown? David was one of the very first names that popped to mind. But yet, the Lord doesn't seem to remember David the same way that you and I do. It doesn't seem like the Lord remembers the Bathsheba thing at all. It seems like the Lord's memory of David is completely different. The David that the Lord remembers is the David with a repentant heart. The David with a completely changed life. The David that wholly, fully, completely follows after the Lord. We see that even here in this passage of how he remembers David. David and Solomon both had epic meltdowns, completely epic meltdowns. We remember David's meltdown and not Solomon's, but the Lord remembers Solomon's 
but has no recollection of David's meltdown at all. How encouraging is it to hear that, knowing the type of God we have, knowing if we just come back to him with our whole and full heart, that that's what he remembers about us. Let me pray. Dear Father, um, <laughs> Lord, got a little heavy uh, and uh, not even like I was, as I mentioned, not even as I was expecting it to uh, when we first started off on this journey. God, I know that um, there have been some fantastic things that came out of Solomon's life and I don't even want to just boil his entire life down to his failing at the end. Uh, God, I know that you were doing some amazing things in his life early on, but man, it's so hard to ignore the ending, the last 20 or 30 years of his life and what implications that had just for the end of his life and for future generations to come. Um, Lord, we want to have the sweet aroma in in your nose. Uh, It's a weird picture, Lord, but we want to have an aroma for you of, of David, of coming back and being all about you. Um, God, that's what we want our, our lives to be about, regardless of where we're at at this current moment. God, I ask that you'd give um, people that are coming uh, and listening to this from all different places of life and dealing with uh, potentially so many different types of addictions, um, whether it be kind of the addictions that are thought about and talked about more uh, openly um, or more commonly, like addictions to sex or love um, or substance. Um, God, I even think about the lesser uh, talked about or seemingly smaller addictions that people are walking with around all the time of addictions to work, addictions to entertainment, addictions to shopping, addictions to, man, so many different things. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the things that have a hold on us, uh, that have a hold on our hearts, a hold on our lives. Um, God, just sometimes it's just one compromise after another in our lives. And God, help us to bring those to you and lay them down and get help where we need to. Um, God, thank you for how much you love us, that you see every single um, thing that we do, every moment of our lives, every thought that we have, and yet you still love us. It it blows me away. Um, God, thank you for your goodness, your graciousness, um, that you're always there with open arms for when we run back to you. And so we want to do that again here today. Um, Lord, we love you. We need you. And we pray all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.